is Happiness Solved with Sandy Scarlatta. Stay tuned for today's interview with Jerry Turning. Hey, everyone. Welcome. So happy you could join us today. I'm going to be speaking with Jerry Turning in a little bit. But before we get to that, because Jerry was a... uh, He's just recently retired, but he was a canine police officer, and he's going to talk all about that. So I thought I would talk a little bit about my little guy. So I haven't had a dog in a number of years. Unfortunately, I had two amazing puppies. Oh, gosh, they were brother and sister, Luke and Lacey. Both were golden doodles. Lacey, we got her first, and uh, she was probably like 45 pounds, kind of a small golden doodle. And then I got Luke from the same breeder. So they had the same father, but different mothers. And she was like, well, we can't guarantee how big he's going to be. And they, they thought he would end up being about 50 pounds, just a little bit bigger than Lacey. So Luke was <laughs> six months old, and I looked at his back feet, and I was like, holy cow, this dog is going to be massive. He ended up being 85 pounds, but just such they were both just such great dogs. After I got divorced and went back to work full-time, I found myself being gone from the house about 10 hours a day, which was just way too long to be leaving these dogs. And my current husband, we were just dating at the time, he convinced me, he was like, you have to stop being so selfish and be selfless because these dogs should not be cooped up in this little room for 10 hours a day. So it was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. But I went onto an adoption website and I found this wonderful family that lived not that far from where I live, and they adopted both of my dogs. And uh, it was just heart-wrenching for me to give them up. A couple of years later, she contacted me and said, hey, you know, if you want to see them, you know, come on over. And I visited with them for close to an hour, I think. And it was just, it put closure for me because I saw how happy they were and how loved that they were, more importantly. Yeah, so when the pandemic hit, you know, and I realized we were going to be home for a long time, I said to my husband, I'm getting a dog. And and he fought me on it, fought me on it. And then I got his two daughters on board. And um, we ended up getting a little Yorkie poo. I tried to rescue a dog. And at that time, there was nothing available but very, very large dogs or little tiny chihuahuas, which are very sweet. It's just they shed, and I can't have a dog that sheds because of allergies and everything. So I ended up getting this little Yorkie poo. He was so tiny. He still is. He's only 10 pounds. He's now almost 11 months old. And um, he is just the cutest little thing. And he thinks that he is this massive dog. He's not afraid of anything. And I, th- I keep joking that uh, the dog that I had previous to the Golden Doodles, was a Border Collie, and his name was Nelson. And Nelson wanted nothing to do with you unless you were throwing him a ball or a Frisbee. Well, my little guy, Buster, or Bubba, as I call him, or Bub, he wants to play constantly. When I come out of my office, he runs out, drops a ball at my feet. It is nonstop. I had no idea that these little dogs like to play fetch so much. It's hysterical. So, It's been a little bit challenging the past few weeks because he suddenly has a very sensitive stomach. So I've been dealing with a lot of intestinal things, feeding him a special diet. But uh, 
you know, one day he's fine, the next day he's got diarrhea and his hair's a little bit long, so we have to, you know, keep him groomed because that was that was a disaster having to cut balls of poop, you know, off of his hair. But um, I know too much information. Anyway, but I, I tell you, I wouldn't change a thing. I am so excited to finally have another furry child in my life, and he is just such a blessing for me. So as I said, today I'm speaking with Jerry Turning. Jerry has a very successful blog called Bacon and Juice Boxes, Our Life with Autism. He served as a police officer for 25 years. He was a decorated canine handler, trainer, and unit supervisor. And he's now retired just recently, and his book is called Desperate Pursuits, which is a novel. So I hope you enjoy it. I tell you, this was one of the most interesting interviews that I've had thus far. Uh, So I hope you enjoy it. Hey, Jerry, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for being so willing to come on and talk about your book and your career and all of that. Well, um, thank you for having me. I always take any opportunity I can to to brag about my son. So thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Well, first, I want to talk about your job. Sure. Because I, you sent me your bio, it's been a few weeks, so I pulled it up today and I'm reading it and I'm like, no way. You were canine police officer? I, I was. I just retired four days ago, actually. You just retired? I oh my did. gosh. Yes. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I spent most of my career in canine. I, I, I joined the canine unit three years in. I was, I was pretty young and uh, was lucky enough to, to stay in it for my entire career for 25 years. Yeah. That seems like the most rewarding part of that. And I always, I'm such a dog lover. And like, you know, now when you go to the airports or, you know, there's always the, the dogs there, don't touch me. And I'm like, no, yeah, it, <laughs> it's so hard for me not to pet a dog when I see one. <laughs> me too. Me too. I agree. Yeah. I am um, very, very lucky. It, it, it is as cool as, as you think it is. It's one of their most rewarding jobs I, uh, I could imagine. And I had to pinch myself daily that they actually paid me to do it. So yeah, I was very, very lucky. Yeah, exactly. So I like watching those Facebook clips where they have these little clips of different shows. And Conan O'Brien, he has a lot of them out there. And mm-hmm. he does all of these wacky things. And there was one little excerpt where he is in this full suit and he's working with the canine police. Uh-huh. And he gets attacked by the dog and like the whole thing. And it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. <laughs> that was me. I spent my whole life doing that. That that, yeah. that suit was uh, was was a key part of my my training. And I have scars all over my body to, to prove it. Yeah. Do you really? Wow. So how hard is it to to get into that line of work? Uh, it is hard. It's competitive. It's a cool job, you know, and, and a lot of, most cops I know want to do it. Most cops I know don't really understand what a commitment it is until they get into it and how it is. Um, It's a full-time thing. Like people don't realize that when I would go on vacation with my family, I would have to find somebody responsible to to watch my dog. And once you start saying good boy to a dog for biting flesh, everything changes. He's not a pet anymore. He's actually a tool that can that can inflict, you know, damage to somebody. So there's a lot of responsibility that came with it. It's hard on your family. Uh my I got a lot of calls in the middle of the night to to go out and and, and track with my dog and it was hard on my wife. You know, because they, they, she worried. And it, while it was a lot of fun, it was, it was stressful too. And there was a lot of um, anxiety and, and danger that comes with the job. The, the statistics shoot up a lot 
of um, officer-involved shootings when you're involved with canines. So, you know, it's 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 cool. It's it's fun, it, but it has its drawbacks. And um, it's it was a good career I had, and now I'm I'm, I'm glad I can look back on it as as fondly as I do and, and, and move forward with it. Yeah. Well, I would imagine, I mean, even if, you know, you have your dog there, you still are at high risk of getting shot as yeah, is every police officer. By nature of what the job is, you know, you, you get the phone call when, when, when the, when, when the serious uh, crimes happen. Some, you know, there's a, a missing person or a, uh, an individual who flees from a, from a crime scene. You're the guy, you're the one they're calling to, to go find them with your dog. And, it takes a little bit to get used to that responsibility to be be the one that everybody's looking to to solve this this serious problem. But um, I, I relished it. I had fun with it. I had more success than I had failures. Thank God. And uh, yeah, it went well. Seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So did did the dog live with you full time? Yes, yes. It's not universal. There's some some departments where the dog is 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 housed in a central kennel at a, at a police department or someplace else. Um, here in New Jersey, it's pretty standard that the dog comes home with us and and is part of our family. Yeah. And then when he retired, uh, we got to adopt him and he, he stayed with my family after that. Wow. Mm-hmm. Now, you said, you know, the dog is trained good boy when yeah. they're biting somebody. So yeah. how did that work with your family? Uh, it's hard. Uh, it, it's a huge responsibility. He it was It was literally bringing another weapon into my house and it has to be treated that way. We had to teach everybody respect for what the animal was. And uh, as, as a big part of my family as he was, there were rules. And, um, you know, when I had people over a company, my dog did not have the run of my house. He was, he was put away in a kennel. And not because I couldn't control him, but because I couldn't control circumstances. And uh, these dogs are, are chosen because they're there of their genetic predisposition to a protect me and then as a as a you know byproduct of that to protect my family and their property so they're very protective animals very strong animals uh, very brave and not afraid of a lot so all of that combined with the fact that he was rewarded for these you know behaviors uh, we had to set a, a, a lot of rules and uh, and be very careful uh, with it, with my kids, they they knew they knew that they had to respect who he was and and um, not treat him like like a like a pet. That would be so hard. It was, yeah. I would imagine it, it for children, because these are generally German shepherds, right? Well, I had I had four dogs in my career. I worked for my first dog was a German shepherd. After that, I worked a Belgian Malinois. I don't know if you've ever heard that kind of breed. Uh, it's a breed of dog that's kind of similar to a German shepherd, as the name implies. They're from Belgium, not Germany. Um, they're a uh, similar type breed of a, of a herding type dog, but they're smaller, thinner, uh, more fast, more agile than than a German Shepherd. Hmm. If I always compared it, if a, if a German Shepherd is a is a Jeep Cherokee, a Malinois is a Ferrari. Uh, they're very very fast, very high high strung dogs. They make terrible pets. He was uh, constantly on in motion, looking to get into trouble, and 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 could never be be tired out. Um, which what makes them the great working dog? It makes them a pain in the butt in the house. You know, is they're, they're yeah, no kidding. They're a serious breed of animal. It's kind of like having a, a thoroughbred racehorse as a pet. You know, they're not for everybody. They'll they'll tie you in knots if 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 they're not given the the outlet for that energy. Yeah. Wow! Wow! So, what was the worst case that you were brought into 
I'm sure you probably get that question. Um, well, it depends on what criteria you use. The worst, I, I've had some some bad calls where there were missing persons that I wasn't able to find. And those that are one, they haunt me still today. In terms of danger, I've had some serious calls where my dog bailed me out of some serious problems, whether it's a, I had one which I wrote my book about. It's the centerpiece for my book, actually, where it was a car chase. And it turned out that I didn't know at the time when I was chasing him, but it turned out he was a serious, hardcore guy. And he was on his way to rob a bank and um, fought with me and wasn't listening to my orders and commands to, to surrender and was beyond being reasoned with. And, and, and my dog bailed me out of it. You know, you remember, you remember the times you didn't succeed more than you remember the successes. That's just human nature. Of course. So, you know, the, the ones where, where I, I relive in my head and wish I had done things better or I had, I don't know, chosen a different option when I was available to me. And I, I, those are the ones that haunt me psychologically. Like I said, I had, I had my share of, of good, good calls with him too. And uh, you try not to dwell on the bad ones and kind of live in the, in the glory of the good ones. And that's kind of how you, how you live, right? I can't even imagine it. Thank you so much for your service. Because oh, that, it's, you. People don't give enough credit to police officers, and especially, in, oh my God, in the past year, it's been horrible. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Now, do you have a service dog with you now? No, my dog, um, my, my last dog was, was named Rudy, and he passed away, I think it's been five years ago now. When I was, I was promoted in my police department to, to the rank of captain, um, which is in, in a police department, it's an administrative position. You know, I'm in, I'm in the, I'm in the office and I'm doing administrative things. And which I was probably a godsend after a while, I would imagine. No, no, I hated it. <laughs> no? I couldn't stand it. it. Okay. <laughs> I, I, it's a whole, it was a whole different skill set that I had to learn. You know, when I was, when I was 12 years old and I told my dad, I wanted to be a cop, Excel spreadsheets and, and scheduling software and, those things were not what I had in mind. I, what I had in mind was, was canine, was running, you know, playing cops and robbers with my dog. And when I got promoted, obviously it was great for my family because I was home during decent hours and it was a less dangerous job, but it, uh, it was a skill set I didn't have. So when I was promoted, my dog retired. Like I said, he was able to live with us for the remainder of his, of his years, but he, he died when he was, uh, I think 15. So he had a really, wow. really strong, solid life. That's a long time for a large dog. Yeah, yeah, he really did. And and I'm lucky that way because the, these these types of animals, they burn fast and hot and, and their bodies break down because of the stress that we put on them. And uh, yeah, he, he, he made it a long time. So, and I was, I was happy that he got to enjoy a downshift in his life where at the end, towards the end, the last few years, he was able to, to just enjoy being a... a a goofy old dog and, and laying around my yard for a little while because he, um, yeah, he had a, he had a fast, hard life. Yeah. It was cool. Wow. You don't even think about that part of a canine's life, you know? Yeah. It's like, I, I always thought of it as like an NFL player, you know, their, their careers are, are very short and they burn very brightly, but they break down physically. Just, there's just a demanding a demand that we put on their bodies and their, their athletes. And you see a lot of injuries, you know, with their joints and things like that. So at the end, you don't want to see them just crippled and unable to get around or have any quality of life. So when I got a chance to retire Rudy a little earlier than he has still some some pep in his step when he retired because of my promotion, but it was good because he got to um, be healthy and active right up to the end, which is cool. It was a gift. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. 
So I want to talk about your book in a minute, but yep. tell me about what inspired you to write this book, your son. Uh, well, what inspired me and what continues to inspire everything I do is, is my son. My son is turning 17 in June, and uh, he was diagnosed with autism in 2007. And uh, how old was he when he was diagnosed? Uh, two and a half, turning turning three years old, which is kind of kind of common with with our kids. That's usually when when they get the diagnosis. You can't explain it when that happens. When a doctor says those three words to you, you know it, it changes everything, and everything you 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 once thought was important suddenly isn't anymore, and everything that you had planned in your life and mapped out, you know we're we're arrogant in that way. We all think we have this plan for our lives and how it's going to unfold and what parenthood is going to be. And you realize very quickly that it's nothing is, is written like that. Nothing is guaranteed and there's nothing promised to you and you don't have a lot of control. Uh, so it really changed everything for me, including how I approached my work, you know, I, you know, including the risks I was taking with my job and bringing home the stress and the anxiety that I did with my job. Everything changed and everything all of a sudden revolved around my son and uh, and learning learning what this is and 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 digesting as best i could and 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 trying to figure out what this mythical thing of autism is because i really had no idea i thought i knew you know i thought i knew what it was but i really had no idea what was coming in my life and 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 with my family until i was kind of forced to become a student of it were there any signs that you noticed yeah, yeah. Looking back, well, it's funny because my wife knew before I did. My, my, it was on my wife's radar screen pretty early on. You know, the you buy all the, the what to expect books, and you buy the books of of how the milestones are going to come, and the doctor and the pediatrician tells you what the milestones should be, and when they should start talking and pointing out uh, objects of interest and and social things and social milestones that are supposed to happen. And um, he he started missing them. And it was funny because the doctor didn't show any kind of, uh, there was no alarm at first. And we heard the standard things that he was the second child and he was a boy and boys develop slower. And my daughter, who's, who was older, my daughter is now uh, 19. She developed quickly. She was ahead of the curve. She was ahead of the milestones. So I was thinking to myself, well, maybe I'm just comparing him to her. And, uh, you know, but looking back, yeah, there were there were definitely signs that something was going on and something was different with him and his development. But I was in denial for the first couple of years. My wife was on top of it more than I was. Um, and what's funny is, I guess it's not funny, but it's, it's what's interesting about this is it took us six to nine months on a waiting list just to see a specialist to receive the diagnosis. That's how in demand this field is. Um, so we were, you know, it was becoming clear what we were dealing with a number of months before we actually received the, the, the piece of paper that, that actually told us what we were dealing with. And, uh, you know, it's, it's hard. You, um, it's definitely a curveball that is thrown towards parents. And I, I might be biased, but I think dads handle it uh, a little less well than moms. Uh, I, I, I would imagine that to be true. Yeah, it, 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 I definitely didn't handle it perfectly. I, I dealt with a lot of emotions about it and um, took a long time to, uh, to get my feet under me. And what really helped me was my writing. I'm a very introverted person. And um, I realized quickly that I had to find some outlet, 
some way to, to, to wrestle with these emotions that I was dealing with, which by the way, were my problem, not his. These, these things that I write about and, and I have written about, I've learned he's not the issue. My, my son, as an autistic individual, there's nothing about him that is the issue here. The issue was mine. Uh, the issue was how I was approaching life and my expectations and my silly arrogance about what I had control over. All of these issues I needed an outlet for in some way to, to handle it and process it. And I, I found that in writing. Um, and I never and dreamed What was that, going through your mind? Like, what, what were some of these thoughts that, that you were thinking? Mostly what I dealt with was this, I had this crazy, I, and I feel it's, it's almost a shame to look back at it. I had this crazy notion that if I was a good person and I followed the rules and paid my taxes and said please and thank you and held the door for kind old ladies when I walked into a store and said excuse me when I burped, that if I, all, if I lived this life, that I considered a good life, that I was somehow owed happiness, that I deserved a life without challenges or any kind of, of uh, speed bumps. And um, so when I was handed the diagnosis for my son, I got angry. I felt robbed. I felt like, what did I do to deserve this? You know, I'm a good person. Why, why is God doing this to me? That as ashamed of that now I, as I am, that was my mindset. So I internalized the, the anger and I felt robbed of what I had this vision of what fatherhood was, you know, the little league games and I'm teaching my, my son about, about girls and, and all these things and, and talking politics with my son and molding him into a new, better version of me and all these things that, that you dream about when you, when you are having a child. All of a sudden, none of that was guaranteed for me. And all of a sudden, I had to uh, come to grips with that might not, may not happen, that I, um, I may never get the chance to talk to my son on that level. And uh, it really, really, it, it staggered me. Uh, and I had, to, um, I had to find a way quickly to figure it out because I would have lost everything if I had gone down the track I was headed. Yeah. No, I hear you, but I also feel like there's no shame in that at all. That's a normal human emotion, you know, when things don't, something that's that devastating when you first hear it, that's a normal reaction. I appreciate that, I'm, and, and, I, and I do agree with you. And I think what we have to learn and what I've had to learn is to forgive ourselves for that process. And it's okay to feel angry or upset or and it's okay to yell at god a little and it's okay to be the to have all those emotions as long as you don't end up living there right as long as as long as they don't dictate everything that's going on and as long as they that as they don't turn around and start to eat up your family so yeah that's that you're right if, if you can get there that's a very healthy place to be uh and it's okay to, to be have a sad day have a sad moment to to look, look back at what might have been. All those things are okay as long as you are able to, to get out of that and, and keep a healthy perspective. Yeah. Exactly. And I think, you know, going back to what you were saying, how you felt your wife was on top of it more than you were. I think, you know, women were just wired differently. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and not to, not to throw <laughs> sexist comments and anything like that, but 
that we're just natural moms. Like it's just not all, not all mothers. There are some mothers out there who don't fit into that category. But generally speaking, we're just wired so differently than men. And I think it just sounds like maybe, you know, they're like the male ego kind of gets in the way. There's and of a, course it would. I mean, you're, no, you're a normal man. There's a lot at play there. And, and not the least of which is this crazy notion that, that men have that we're supposed to fix things. And of course, this is not universal, and I can only speak to about me, but from my experience and, and from my conversations with other dads over the years that I've been given a, the opportunity to have, that's a big one. Dads feel like it's our job to, um, to fix things, that if something's broken or if there's some crisis facing the family, that we are here to, to throw ourselves into it, attack it, and fix it. It takes you not too much time dealing with something as as complicated as an autism diagnosis with your child to realize there are some things you can't fix. Um, there are some things that you don't have that kind of power, and it's the the pinnacle of arrogance to think that you that that you ever could think that you did. Besides the fact that now I understand that autism is not something to be fixed. My son is not broken. He is not damaged. He is not sick. There was nothing there to be to be fixed. He is a an amazing individual, wired differently than you or me. But his mind is absolutely beautiful in the way it approaches life, in the way he he lives and and, and absorbs the world. And like I said before, the job to fix things that what I had to fix was me, not him. What I had to fix was my flaws, not his. It took me a long time to get there, and, and that's okay. And it takes, it takes parents a while to get there. Some tragically never do, right? Some, some never can. You know, but it, once I did get there, and like I said, I still have my bad days and my bad moments, and they will continue. But once I got there where a majority of my time I was focused on dealing with my issues, not trying to force my son into some version of what I thought growing up should be, then I was I was on my way to to getting my feet under me with this thing. That's that's really amazing now, and you really should you know pat yourself on the back because oh, thanks. It, it's really sad that some people aren't able to get there, and 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 it's like you said, it's not about your child; it's you. You're missing out on that experience. Yeah, and I should say this too because that autism is such a huge. It's a, it's called a spectrum for a reason, and there's so many different there's so many different facets to it. And I have to be careful because my my family's dealing with autism is different than than others, and it's hard for me to say. And I, I'm always I'm always careful when I do this for the family out there whose child is severely affected, and there are individuals out there who who need 24 hour constant care. They they exactly. they they cannot uh, feed themselves, cannot care for themselves. It's hard for me to tell that parent that their child is just wired differently. I mean, there are families out there who are dealing with a severe medical issue with their child, right? I suppose I'm, my version of what my son is dealing with with his diagnosis is, is different than theirs. So, I, you know, I, I don't know if my approach is right. I, I, know, I know it works for me, but I, I, I'm always careful not to judge. And I understand that people are on a, diff they're a different path and um, we can't judge each other because that, that, 
it's just not healthy. You can't do it, no, you know. It's not, and we don't know what we don't know. And mm. until you're <clears throat> in those shoes, you know, there's no way to know. But that's a major argument in my community. And if you ever want to have a great time, walk into a room full of, of special needs parents and just toss out the topic of whether or not their child is is needs to be fixed or corrected or, or, or cured, or whether or not their child is molded in the image of God and is just wired differently and is a beautiful creature. That is a disagreement. And it depends on how severe, how severely affected your child is. There's no winning that argument. It's all about your perspective. Of course not. You know? Completely. And can you change that perspective? No. Is that possible? Right. And and it's really not healthy to try. So you listen to people, you you respect where they're coming from, and and you uh you you do your best to just um be a community and understand that we're all approaching this and doing the best we can, you know. Yeah, exactly. So how is your son today? How is he? Mm-hmm. He's amazing. He's absolutely well, amazing. Well, I know he's amazing. Of course, he's amazing. But but you you know, you said that there's different levels of spectrum. So so how is he in terms of the way he communicates, you know, that kind of thing? Uh my son is verbal. He has a pretty a pretty large vocabulary. He can talk. We're fortunate that he can express needs and he can express things that he needs or things that are bothering him. His hurdles lie mostly in the area of expressive language. And it's it's fascinating uh, from an academic point of view because, like I said, he has a, a huge vocabulary. So he can recite the scripts to movies and and songs and and he'll come up with these words in his vocabulary that'll blow you away. But if you ask him simple questions like, how was your day at school? And abstract things like, what what do you want to be when you grow up? And and expressive things like that, he he can't. He has a challenge doing it, and that's where that's where we are today. So it's it's hard to even pigeonhole where he is on the spectrum because it, it actually, in some areas, he's extremely high functioning, in others, he's he's lagging and and is always going to have challenges, and that's kind of common. That's the way this is. It's not as simple as well. That person's a high functioning individual. This person's low. It, no, it depends on circumstances. And oh, by the way, that is where he is on the spectrum fluctuates depending on circumstance. If he's anxious or if he's stressed or if he's had a bad day or tired or doing something he doesn't want to do, we see his functioning abilities decline. And when he's having a great day and everything's good, we see him flourish and have amazing language. And he kind of drifts uh, within his little little area. Um, so it's not like, you know, it's not cut and dry like the textbooks, I'll tell you. He's an individual. That's the bottom line. He's a unique individual with his own strengths, his own challenges. And whatever you want to call it is fine. But I've learned to just accept what he is, try to help him where I can with whatever is, is challenging him. And uh, I've learned to gauge my days and score my days based on his happiness as opposed to how many times he acts like a typical kid. Does that make sense? And it took me a long time to get there. Not by how what progress he's making academically or not, or how closely he's mimicking what I think a, a typical 17-year-old should do. That's unhealthy, and that puts me in a bad place emotionally. Um, let's be honest, my turn, my son's turning 17. Most typical teenagers are are excited to get their driver's license this year. That is not in the cards for my son. If I live there, that will bring me down to a, a negative place emotionally. Um, so I don't. I focus on what makes him happy and how many times he smiles today. 
And if that number is more than three, more than five, then I'm having a fantastic day. And tomorrow we go back at it. So that's where you got to put yourself. You know, if I start comparing him, comparison to me is an ugly, ugly monster. And uh, it's always close by. Like, it'll sneak up and grab you in the, in the most unexpected moments. We'll be sitting watching TV with my wife and a commercial will come on a TV and it'll be a one of those cute little seven-year-olds that'll, with the wit and they'll sling some sarcastic remark at their parents or and it'll hit me that, oh my God, that, that, that seven-year-old is so far more advanced in language than my son, you know? And, and you start to compare your son of, of where he is and where that, per, that little kid is. That is the kind of thing that gets us into trouble emotionally when we let that dictate our happiness. So I, I dodge it and I try not to live there and I forgive myself for the moments when they happen, but those are not healthy places for us especially these parents. And you are human. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what you're going through, parents go through anyway with their children. Mm, that's true. Whether it's, you know, they didn't make the basketball team or they, they didn't get into the college, and it's a dangerous place for anybody to go to. It is. As a parent. Comparison, as a general rule, is, is an ugly, it doesn't get the respect it, it, it deserves as a, uh, as a negative reality. Whenever you start comparing yourself to anybody in any kind of standard, it, it'll lead to, to negativity. And I try to avoid it as much as possible. Yeah. yeah. Good for you. Good for you. Wow. Well, I certainly commend you. And oh, thanks. Um, I, you know, as a parent, I have one child. I was my miracle baby. And mm -hmm. uh, it's every parent's worst nightmare that, you know, something would happen to them. Mm -hmm. You know, when you worry about them getting sick and, you know, and I've been very blessed in that from that perspective. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and everybody has challenges, right? Nobody has the perfect life. And uh, in a lot of ways, we have been relieved of a lot of things. It's so funny when I think about it. I haven't had to worry about a lot of things that typical parents have to worry about. Uh, it's hard, but I, you know, I, I haven't had to deal with peer pressure with my son. Bullying maybe a little bit. The funny part about that with the bullying is my son couldn't care less about a snide comment from another kid or comments on his shoes or his clothes or any, anything that, you know, those, those, those superficial stereotypical things that kids get bullied over. My son walks around impervious to that. It doesn't affect him. He couldn't care less what you think of him. On a lot of levels, that I envy that, right? I, I envy not having to be saddled with worrying about what other people think of me, right? Yeah. That in a lot of ways is, oh, it's, it's absolutely amazing. So, so when I hear my, my friends who have, you know, typical developing children wrestling with, with bullying or, or things like that at school, I'm like, wow, I'm lucky. I, I dodged that bullet. I don't have to worry about that, right? So it's weird. It's quirky. Uh, there's, there's, there's things that, that I'm relieved of in a lot of ways that uh, I'm kind of happy about. You know, I'm kind, of, I'm kind of glad I don't have to deal with those things, including, by the way, my son out there driving around in this craziness. <laughs> Let me tell you that it's that's probably one of the hardest things that I've had to struggle with yeah. as a parent is, you know, I bought him a car because I, you know, worked full time, still do. Yeah. And he had to have his own car. Yeah. 
and then it's just a whole other set, set of issues. But I just had this conversation with him yesterday because he's in this weird thing. I actually talk about it on on another podcast. And I, I sometimes do like a monologue and I just talk about things. Mm-hmm. And it was just literally, I had to, he was like, what is that saying you always say, mom? And I'm like, what other people think about you is none of your business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's the hardest thing. That was one of the biggest things I had to work on. Oh, I haven't, I haven't figured it out yet. So if you, if you <laughs> when you do figure it out, let me know because it's something I deal with too. Um, yeah, yeah, it's hard. Yes, it is definitely hard. And you know, I, I, I really do mean it when I say I envy my son's not being saddled with it. It's not to say he's not capable of being embarrassed or, or he doesn't have that that emotion. He lives in a world where his happiness comes first. Right. And, and he, it's a very, and it's, I don't mean this in a, in a, in a negative way. He lives in a very self-centered world and he puts on clothes based on their A, comfort level and B, their ability not to slow him down. Right. And so fashion doesn't enter into the equation. You know, he'll, he'll go to the store wearing pajamas and flip-flops. He does not care about what other people are thinking about. That is beautiful in my mind because I Completely. am the exact opposite of that, right? It almost paralyzes me thinking about what other people are thinking of me. So in that, in that way, he, I try to be more like him. You know, I, I try to live up to what he, to the example he's setting. You know, it, it's, it's fascinating. It's, it's a fascinating, it's difficult to describe, but it's a fascinating uh, uh, world to, to be a, a part of. Well, and I also think that people are put into our lives for a reason, and many, more often than not, there's something that we can learn about ourselves, and that's your son. He's he's teaching you about yourself. No doubt about it. And I, and I, I will say this till the day I die, this challenge that was handed to me has made me a better father. It's made me a better person. It made me a better cop. It, it's made me a better human being. And the version of me that existed before 2007, I don't like very much. The version of me who, who lived and died with, with the New York Yankees baseball score and, and would throw things at the TV when the Dolphins lost a game and these things that used to matter to me and I put on a pedestal of what I thought was important. Uh, oh my God, I was so, so naive. And what, what I've learned is what really, really matters and what really is important. And um, in that way, this is a gift. It's, it's, it's an absolute gift to it's me. It's a blessing. Absolutely. For sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. So let's talk about your book. I think we just did. <laughs> well, we <laughs> that did. Was it. <laughs> but, but I love the fact that you wrote a novel. Yeah. And a lot of it is based on your life. And that's, we all write about yeah. what we know. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I had been writing about my life for a while with my blog and, and my Facebook post and all that. Um, and a lot of the, the scenes from my novel, I took directly from blog posts uh, about my life. Uh, but I wanted to, um, I've always kind of had the itch for creative writing. I've always kind of been good at it. I've been told I've been good at it. And I thought, wow, okay, I'll, I'll write a novel. And I never <laughs> dreamed how difficult it would be. But I wanted to try to send to convey the messages I was conveying in my blog and my, in my social media in the form of a entertaining story. And I thought I had a niche, a unique kind of place in the world where I was a cop 
and I was also a special needs dad. And that combination, straddling those two communities the way I do, put me in a place where I had a lot to say, and I, and I still do. And I have some funny stories, and I have some interesting stories, and some harrowing tales that I thought would make a good story. And it's funny because I could, um, I used the novel format. It's fiction, right? That's kind of like a shield for me, where I could create this character who's not me, but he's kind of me, right? He's, 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 he's a cop, and he's a dad, and his son has special needs, and he had to deal with all those, those issues that we just talked about. But it was almost like um, a shield where I could, uh, I could tell these stories and, ex- and express these emotions, but it really isn't me. It's, it's Greg. It's the character. And it, it gave me a lot of uh, creative freedom to, to do some things and experiment. Yeah, I had a, I had a blast doing it. It was, a, it was hard. You know, it, it was hard to do. I'm, I'm glad I did it. I'm very happy with the product. It was cathartic. It was, it was great therapy for me. And, uh, and, and yeah, I'm very, very proud of it that I could, uh, I could hit this, this pocket of, of, of telling our story as special needs parents in an entertaining way and surrounded it with a compelling story with characters that you really kind of um, root for or root against, depending. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a blast. It was, it was an absolute blast. Well, I would imagine there was a lot of information in there that maybe some new parents of a special needs child could really benefit from. Yeah. Um, you know, what you've gone through. Yeah. And I used it, like I said, like the first, the first conversation I had to have was with my mom because when I sent her the manuscript, um, the, the central character in my book is, uh, is a police officer who's a canine officer, go figure, who really, really handles the diagnosis of his son poorly. I mean, does everything wrong. And I developed him a lot, yes, from the emotions that I dealt with early on, but also as, as um, a compilation of the other dads I, I've had uh, experience with or heard from or talked to during my journey, right? So what I kind of did is I, I created this character you really, really dislike at first. You know, you want to grab him by the, by the lapel and shake him, like, wake up. Like, what are you doing? You're, you're damaging your family. You're handling this poorly. you got to get... I wanted that character to be a galvanizing figure where the reader is, is screaming at him to, to wake up, that you really, you, you, you hate the way he's handling this. I wasn't that bad. In, you know, in real life, I did not handle it as poorly as my main character. So I had to call my mom and say, listen, mom, this is fiction. I, 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 you know, this, is, this isn't me. Uh, the character <laughs> in my book is, drinks heavily. Uh, he's an alcoholic. He he uh, he turns to alcohol to, to sedate himself and and to fall asleep so he could dream about these a relationship with his son in his dreams where he can have these conversations and it gets deep and emotional. But I had to tell my mom, mom, I never drank. I, I you know I, I I never that's that is not me. That's the fictional part of this. But I thought it was important that the character go there and be that that bad of of a person so you can uh, and watch his journey and come out of it. And, and make the arc of his journey as a dad, of a special needs dad, and as a cop, when he pops out of it at the other end to make it that more rewarding. So, yeah, I laid it on thick with how bad this father handled this. But um, Well, that's what makes a good story, though. But it's also dangerous because it, it wasn't a confession. And a lot of people <laughs> that I know who are in my life who now are reading the book, it's funny, we're, I'm getting calls daily. My wife's uh, in-laws from across the country uh, asking, you know, like, 
how how fictional was that? Like how you know because <laughs> you know they they're wondering like like am I was I that bad? Am I that bad of a guy? Do I am I an alcoholic? You know there all these things, and I gotta keep reassuring people that no that that is a fictional character I created, <laughs> but the emotions I tapped in are real, very very real, right. and the situations he's in as a police officer are drawn from from real life experiences I had with with my career. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, I kind of bored the, the line there. <laughs> and it's, it's funny now to have these conversations because I'm, I'm sure you know, as you're writing your book, you keep a lot of this to yourself. These are like little secrets you have. You don't share it with a lot of people until you put it out there in the world. So I couldn't talk about these things for a long time. They're just mine. Now that I get to talk about these little uh, situations and anecdotes, it's, it's fun to tell people to point out like, yeah, that little cute, that funny story on page whatever, 220, that that happened. That was a real life thing. I changed names to protect the innocent, but um, yeah, that, that story happened. <laughs> there actually was a car that drove through a restaurant and the guy actually did bail out from a, from a blind date uh, because uh, it was going poorly. And uh, it's just been a blast. It's been a lot of fun. Now people That's are clamoring awesome. for a second book and I, I don't know. I was just I, about to say, is there a sequel? <laughs> I don't know if I have it in me. I don't. I don't know. As you know, I get the itch to write now, but that process of developing a, you know, a, a story arc and, and making it fit into the, into the rules and and to, and to the format and all of that, I didn't enjoy. It seems that my brain kind of gears towards quick, kind of uh, blog posts. You know, if I have something to say, I want to sit down, type it, put it out there, even if it's creative writing piece. I like to just sit down, do it, put it out, and then move on. Having this uh, novel, this this huge story living with me for a number of years, it was hard, and I, I I don't know if I can if I can put myself through it again. I'm sure the second time would be easier, but uh, right now I need to just digest what I did now and kind of enjoy this for a while. Yeah. Now, when was your book released? Uh, December, uh, early December. I, I it was released. I self published. I, I spent about a year doing the uh, the queries and trying to get agents, and I didn't enjoy that process very much. I didn't enjoy begging and dancing for my for my food, for my dinner. I didn't enjoy that. So I just decided to bite the bullet myself and, and self-publish it. I had it professionally edited, and I invested in it, but I kind of wanted it. I wanted closure with it, and I, I was excited to get the story out, so I went that route and self-published it. Yeah. Yeah. It's very difficult to get a literary agent. I've been yeah. down that road multiple times, and yeah, with my uh, book I just published, I decided I'm not even going to bother. I don't. I did not enjoy the process. I, I don't like it. I um, I'm not good with rejection. It did. I don't handle it well. I I I, I internalize criticism. It just wasn't for me. And so far, I'm, I'm very happy with with the results. I'm I'm happy with the feedback I've gotten. I was kind of lucky in a lot of ways. Where I when I finished my book, I already had a following of people who enjoyed my writing anyway. I had an audience ready, and I I told them I exactly. was writing a book. My problem was they kept bugging me of when it was going to be done. So I hit the ground running in that in that area where I I had people eager to read it. So it wasn't like I had to build an audience from from the ground up. So in that way, I was kind of ahead of the ahead of the game in the self-publishing area. So, but then so far, I'm happy with it. I'm, I'm glad it's I'm glad I made that decision. That's great. So, what are you going to do now that you're retired? 
<laughs> I am working harder now than when I ever did when I worked. I started a new company, uh, and my company is called Blue Bridge Training. And what I'm doing is um, I've been doing this a long time anyway, but I'm providing autism training to first responders, to police departments, to fire departments, to EMS, search and rescue teams. And I'm providing autism training, response training to these, to these, com- to these agencies and teaching them about our kids. I'm trying to use that, that niche that I have as a cop and, a, and as a special needs dad. And I think I can reach people on a level that they need to be reached. And I can reach fellow cops and fellow first responders on a level that the experts with PhDs and, and, and acronyms after their names can't do because I can speak to it on a, on a personal level. And when I get into the room and I start talking to my brother officers about these issues and I can give them my personal experience with it, I found it resonates. And I, and I found that, and the feedback I got, I've gotten from these trainings it feeds my soul. It, the way the way that they react to the lessons I can give them about our kids, um, it, it's absolutely what what I think I've been put here to do. So now that I'm retired, you know, I've been doing this training for a, for a long time as a hobby, and with the support of my police department. But now that I've retired, I can now devote it to to it full time, and it's been a blast. So what I've been doing is building this this company up and. All of that skill set of marketing and all of those things that you got to do as a business owner, I've had to learn all that. I had to learn a whole new language of, of accounting and all of these things and the tax rate, all of these things I've had to learn. Um, it's been a blast. It's been a whirlwind uh, to learn these skill sets. I've been doing webinars and, and trying to get the training out and get the word out that I exist as a company. So I haven't been bored. It's been exciting. We had a massive snowstorm here <laughs> which really uh, took its toll on me. I've been trying to relieve my wife. My wife works full-time, so I've been trying to take on more of the, uh, the home stuff, folding laundry and, and cooking and, and running after my son. And it's been, uh, it's been exciting. And uh, I don't miss wow. the police work, <laughs> but some days, sometimes I do because uh, this is a different thing. Yeah. Your business sounds incredible. Do you have a website? Yes, it's uh, www.bluebridgetraining.com. Blue Bridge. Blue Bridge. Training. Yep. Okay. All right. That's incredible. I'm. I'm just. It's such an honor to speak with you today. I have to tell you. Um, thank you so I, this much. has been one of my favorite interviews I've done so far. So thank oh, you, you say so that much. For everybody. You don't. Have no, to say I don't. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Sandy. And I'm really excited about about your book. I um, I think it sounds sounds amazing. Uh, I can't wait to read yep. it. Thank you. Yeah, talk about putting yourself out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have, there's four chapters. It's my memoir, so I'm just going there. <laughs> yeah, you and I are kind of the same in that area. We I, we share a lot. But mine's mine's not fiction. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I understand. Well, take take a crack at it because it, it's pretty freeing when you uh, develop yeah. a character and you can make them kind of you but kind of not. You can say a lot. Well, you know, I did that. Um, oh, okay. In 2009, I published a book called The Day After Tomorrow. It was the first in a series of five for teenage girls. And I finished the second book, but my publisher was a small, it was kind of a friend of mine in small publishing company. She yeah. ended up going out of business. So I've had this book sitting there for 11 years. I plan on combining the first two, finishing it, and then putting it out there as one book. Uh-huh. Uh, interesting. So, and and the, the main character is a lot like me. Yeah. yeah, well, of course, you have to draw on your own 
experience. It, I don't I don't know anybody who can just make up a character out of whole cloth and not not have it kind yeah. of be them, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Exactly. And if you have that skill, I envy you. I don't know if I could do it. I don't know if I could either. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, Jerry, is there anything else that you want to you want to throw out there to the listeners? Uh, no, I, I really appreciate you having me. In. And if and if anybody is interested in my little life story, my little corner of the of the world, please um, check out my Facebook page. It's 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 bacon and juice boxes. The reason it's named bacon and juice boxes is because for the first eight years of my son's life, that's all he would eat. It's a quirky thing that kind of took off uh, when I named it, and uh, I'm really proud of the community that's that's been built around it. We have a I have families around the world who um, kind of share experiences and triumphs and, and challenges with raising special needs little heroes, and it's it's really cool and it's very supportive, and we uh, we just kind of share our experiences, and, and and there's a lot of people with with no real direct connection with, with special needs who just kind of hang out and listen to us about um, just to learn about our families. So if you have any interest, please come join me and uh, buy my book <laughs> and, uh, and, and check out my story. And, and, and um, if you have any at all uh, contacts with law enforcement or, or first responding agencies in your area in need of this training, steer them towards my business and, and, and hopefully we can, do some good, change the world, and uh, have some fun in the process. That's all it's about, right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, Jerry, it. thank you so much. Thank you. And it's been it's been a pleasure having you on today. Yeah, it's been a pleasure being here. Thank you so much, Sandy. Yeah, that really was one of the best interviews that I've had thus far. He's such an interesting human being. And I love how he was able to get really vulnerable with us and admit, you know, his flaws and, and how he's, you know, dealing with the challenges of raising a child that has special needs. Just amazing. And he has earned a following of over 35,000 fans who share his family's challenges and triumphs, you know. And again, his blog is, um, you can find that on Facebook. It's at Bacon and Juice Boxes. His book, Desperate Pursuits, can be found on Amazon.com. And he was talking about his new business that he has started already. You know, now that he's retired, it's called Blue Bridge Training. And so for anybody out there who knows somebody that's a first responder or a police officer, um, let them know about this training that he is now offering that's uh, you know teaching the first responders and police officers about how to deal with calls that they may have that are dealing with uh, children with special needs. So it's certainly a very unique service that he is offering, and that is bluebridgetraining.com. So thanks again for joining me today. You can find out more about me at sandyscarlotta.com. My book is now available on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. And uh, this podcast will be all over the place, but you you can also find it um, on my Facebook page, which is at Coach Sandy Scarlata. So once again, thank you for joining me. I hope that you and your family stay safe and healthy and happy. Yeah.